0: Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with the living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this inaugural episode of Rebel Spirit Radio, I speak with Dr. Jay Kumar, author of Science of a Happy Brain, Thriving in the Age of Anger, Anxiety, and Addiction. Jay discusses the evolutionary aspects that have wired our brains with a negativity bias and how we can hack this programming to assist us in our pursuit of happiness, avoid the dangers of tribalism, and live meaningful lives grounded in comfort, contribution, connection, and compassion. Dr. Jay Kumar is the Director of Contemplative Practices and Well-Being and Instructor of Contemplative Studies at Chapman University. Dr. Kumar explores the emerging discipline of contemplative studies that integrates brain science, cognitive psychology, spirituality, and their applications towards holistic health. His recent book, Science of a Happy Brain, Thriving in the Age of Anger, Anxiety, and Addiction, based upon the happiness course that he teaches at Chapman, advances the scientific and spiritual strategies of happiness for self and society. His course, How to Train Your Brain for Happiness, is ranked as one of the most popular courses on the LinkedIn Learning Network. Jay is also the author of Brain, Body, and Being. Greetings, Jay, and welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Um, so let me first ask you, how are you doing?
1: You know, Nick, thank you so much. I'm doing very well. The new year has got off to a good start, and we actually are speaking on, um, if I can just say the date, Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. So it's a really important day in our in our country, and uh, and I think um, the idea of looking at um, where we are uh, as a pivotal point i think this is a great day to have this conversation
0: yeah absolutely and that leads me into a few things here Uh, i have some statistics in your book you list some of this information so i just wanted to run these by you because it seems so relevant to this moment in time that we're in as a nation So um, according to the UN's most recent annual world happiness report, the US is ranked number 19 for happiness. Now, given the total number of countries, that may not seem so bad, but yet that number has been dropping for the past two decades. And from a global perspective, the incidence of stress, And self-reported anger in the U.S. is amongst the highest in the world. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the suicide rate has also increased by more than 30% in half of the states since 1999. And this is all while the global suicide rates have been dropping during that same period. Another survey showed that nearly half of Americans report feeling alone, either sometimes or always feeling alone. And one in four Americans said they rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. So, you know, we felt isolated even before the restrictions put in place due to COVID-19. And I can't imagine any of these numbers improving since last year. So it seems like Americans are unhappy, and it also seems like it's nearing almost epidemic levels. You know, this is so ironic, given the foundation, you know, one of the foundational documents, the Declaration of Independence, which gives us the, the right to pursue happiness. So my, my first question, I really have two major questions for you. But the first question is, why are we so unhappy? And the second question would be, how can we achieve happiness? <laughs>
1: Yeah, Nick, thank you so much for asking those two questions. And boy, we could just uh, spend days and days talking about each of them, but given the time we have today. I also appreciate your sharing those statistics. So as you mentioned, you know, in my, in my book, science of the happy brain, uh, it's, which is, by the way, has been adapted from a happiness, the happiness course, which I've been teaching at Chapman university for the past 10 years and also my own personal research into it. The idea fundamentally is this, if you want to look at the, what I call the rising disease and despair, that's happening right now in our nation, and when I say the disease of despair, I talk about the three biggest, um, the three biggest uh, afflictions, if you will, are the three A's: anger, anxiety, and addiction, and they're all related together in some way. And this is really where I think your listeners will appreciate um, looking at the the the. the the construct of happiness through different lenses? What is a social construct? So our American society, which I think is really, I think the heart of your question, really I I feel from my research and, you know, as an outline of my book and in my uh, course, we as a society tend to confuse happiness with pleasure. Mm -hmm. So my mantra, if you will, it's like pleasure has a limited shelf life Happiness has no expiration date. So, we, and this is really something which, and I can go into the whole neuroscience, which I do in the book, but the whole idea is that if you want to explore the roots of American despair, or why we're so unhappy, or why America is ranked so low in the UN ranking of happiest nations, or the increase in um, not just suicide rates, but, you know, um, uh, in my role as a director of well being at Chapman, I also, sadly witness a rise and increase in depression, um, addiction among um, our, our college students. And it, 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 it goes to the heart, I think, of where this conversation needs to, to, to lead. And that is we have to look at, the, at how our brains are wired by evolution. So if you want to ask the question, why are we so unhappy in our modern day world? You have to go back about a million years, (laughs) to be honest. So, so, so let's start there and do a flash. Like, so imagine yourself uh, as an ancient, you know, say even 10,000 years ago. So let's not even go a million years, it's just 10,000 years ago. And imagine yourself as an ancient stone age, tribe dweller, and your, your biggest concern is to make it one more day. That really is it, right? so so all you care about is the three drives of seeking safety security and stability and so in that context of evolution there is a primal aspect or layer of our brain and we can go more specific as the mesolimbic area it's like the mm-hmm. the amygdala if, some, if listeners are familiar with the uh the reach of the brain called the amygdala which is our fight or flight stress response mm-hmm. system that governed the show and it still does today so evolution actually had what I call nature's gamble on happiness and mm-hmm. so the gamble was to either be in a low-grade state of in a in, in a state of like you know of uh, threat perception or not to be and just kind of focus on oh life is so great everything is good, etc etc and so, the second option meant that you wouldn't be on the lookout for for dangers in your environment say a sneaking lion in the bush or you know um, you don't see the person who's got the spear you know uh, coming after your food that you tried to gather for the whole day so the idea is that our brains are wired by evolution to be in this state of um, low-grade threat perception sadly this trying to eliminate that aspect of your brain stress response system would be akin to trying to um, eliminate your respiratory system or your circulatory system. You just can't, but what we can do for all the brain science research, and this is, the, this is the science of a happy brain. What it really reveals is that we have strategy strategies and tools to help us regulate and manage that evolutionarily wired stress response system. So my mantra, you know, is like, if your outside world feels out of control, learn to control your inside world. And so there's, you know, I'll say this one last thing and we'll kind of maybe open for more questions. There's a concept in the evolutionary neuropsychology research called your brain's negativity bias. Mm -hmm. And so this is an important, I think, way to answer this fundamental question why are we so, as a society, um, uh, witnessing a rise in the disease of despair? And it has to, it goes back to, again, to evolution and your brain's negativity bias. Your brain is wired to focus on the negative and to dwell less on the positive, or put it in a more, more, again, um, layperson's term. Your brain is like Velcro for negative experiences your brain is like Teflon for positive experiences. Mm. Your, your brain is wired more strongly to register these negative experiences, again, because these allowed you to survive. So again, going back 10,000 years ago as our example, you ate that funny looking berry on the tree and you almost died. Remember, never to eat that poisonous berry again. Uh, your buddy who you thought you could trust, uh, all he really wanted to do, you know, when you, when he was helping you gather your food was steal your food from you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So always be on the lookout for people who might, uh, you, 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 know, you might not be able to trust. So the bad news is that your brain is wired for the negative, but the good news is we now know from the brain science research, we are capable of overcoming what evolution wired into our brain. And it's often said in the research, um, it takes a minimum of five positive thoughts or what I call repetitive positive behaviors to overcome your brain's negativity bias. The sad thing is, and this is exhaustive. We live in a society, American society where we want things instantaneous. We want instantaneous mm-hmm. results of gratification. And unfortunately that's not, that's not how evolution of your brain works. So if you want to imagine the example, Hey, I want to, I, my goal is to run a marathon you know, or my dream is to run a triathlon or learn the piano or whatever. It ain't gonna happen tomorrow. <laughs> it takes practice, practice, practice. So the good thing is that we have the tools, but I think the point to remember, and this is kind of, you know, as a jumping off point for further conversation. The Declaration of Independence, when Thomas Jefferson and the founding, um, you know, uh, figures of the, Decl- of the American society penned the declaration of independence they said every there's the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness the original document said the right to life liberty and happiness the word pursuit of got added in so here's the here's the gist of it happiness is not a promise happiness is a practice and that's what many americans forget we have to practice the pursuit of happiness in our lives. It doesn't come in a pill. It doesn't come in a, in a, in, in like, you know, in a, in a, you can't buy on Amazon, put it that way.
0: I thought you could buy everything on
1: Amazon. <laughs> Except <laughs> happiness. You buy, a lot of things give you pleasure on, <laughs> well, on Amazon.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we do sort of substitute the practice of happiness for these immediate things, you know, I have friends who will talk about going to target because it's their happy place, you know, as if they can find happiness by purchasing something. And I've often pointed out that, you know, this whole system is predicated on our unhappiness and keeping us unhappy. Because if we're happy, we're not going to go out and buy this other stuff. So the, the, the question I have is we're, so we're, we're wired, our brains, you know, we're running off of these very old computers. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, you've said that, you know, there's really no avoiding that and I can understand that, but how can we reprogram our brains or hijack our brains to achieve mm-hmm. happiness?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great question. so um, so I think you you you, you touch on something really um, important. Is that um, the brain is a very complex system, and it's just, it's not just this monolithic you know structure, if you will. It, what we're finding in the brain science research, some of the greatest discoveries that have come out in the brain science research um, field in the in the past few decades. One concept is the idea of neuroplasticity. So the idea of neuroplasticity kind of implies again, plasticity, your brain is plastic or more more precisely, you can rewire your brain um, and, and your brain's not fixed. So if you are someone who is predisposed to anxiety or anger or have uh, habits of maybe uh, predisposed to addictive uh, disorders, the good news is that you are not imprisoned by those behaviors brain science research all affirms it takes practice. Again, the practice it's the practice, it's the, it's the practice of happiness. it's you know that we have to really do, not the promise. We need to really recognize that there are skills and behaviors. And so I talk about the four C's of, of happiness in my book, which um, are comfort, contribution, connection and compassion. And we can break those down if you like as well um, uh, shortly. But I find the four C's, you know, comfort, contribution, connection, and compassion. These can be platforms or what I call um, uh, modalities that we can use to practice happiness. And all research that I do comes from the brain science research. And the great thing also, given our background and where we came from, um, from a, from a a graduate level degree, you know, both of us have our backgrounds in religious studies and philosophy. So I find these four C's comfort, contribution, connection, and compassion, although they are very firmly, you know, uh, value validated by the brain science research, they also have very deep spiritual um uh components to them which is why i find them to be really very relevant for our world today
0: yeah they uh remind me uh somewhat i think there are a lot of parallels with aristotle too because for him especially in his virtue theories um the whole point is to achieve happiness Mm -hmm. and he makes the exact same point that you've been making is that it's a process, it's a practice. You have right. to work at it. It's not something that will just come to you. Right. You know, it's a lifelong endeavor.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. So if you make the pursuit of happiness your goal, this allows you to live a more fulfilled life. I know I think you know mm-hmm. the 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 ancient Greek philosophers talked about the hedonia versus eudaimonia, which is these two hmm. fancy ancient Greek terms. Sure. Hedonism, like hedonism, again, it's, it's, we, uh, one. I think I I I feel that there are what I, in my opinion, three underlying. Um, uh, what's the best word? Looking, you know, I think misbeliefs. Or around happiness. Uh, there's probably a better word, you know, I think um, uh, falsehoods, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, about about happiness. And this idea is that I think the first thing we, we have to get over, and I think you brought, and it, what reminds me, you raise a really good point, but how our entire uh, American economic system is established upon the belief that you are not happy in the moments. So, therefore, you should buy product X or do, do X, do, do Y to, to, to bring you happiness. You know, go to Target and go shopping. But what we're finding from the brain science research, again, so the first, I think, falsehood is to um, recognize that we need to distinguish. Pleasure versus happiness. Now, pleasure has a purpose. So let me just say this: I, got, I always revert back to evolution and neuro, my, you know, uh, mm-hmm. background again in neuropsychology is that there's a system in the brain. Well, there's a neurotransmitter called dopamine. I mm-hmm. many of you are probably, many listeners are probably familiar with this. This dopamine uh, uh, neurotransmitter. But what dopamine does? Um, dopamine reinforces how the evolutionary f- purpose of dopamine was to reward you with feelings of pleasure when you partake in activities that promote survival. So let, let, let me give you an example. In the most basic example, there is a very powerful reason why orgasms are so incredibly uh, pleasurable. They release dopamine in the, in the body And the reason why that is, is because you would then continue to do it because that enhances (laughs) reproduction, right? So, so the idea is that evolution was, was pretty cunning in in a way that it was really powerful that it, it, it it wired systems. It, it, it made sure that humans and also other mammals as well, higher primates, et cetera, all have the same systems. Let's just focus on humans for right now how the human brain actually um, evolved in order for in order for survival to be enhanced. There are activities such as um, reproduction or even drinking liquids or food. Um, you know that 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 are that are all advantageous for survival. So eating food is pleasurable. So we wonder now, like why we have so addictions. So addictions are all dopamine based you know, um, I'm generalizing here, but many, many addictive uh, disorders uh, can be attributed to the dopamine uh, reward system and how it's dysregulated. So the point being is that we, again, evolution, we have, we are, we have to overcome almost like a million years of evolution in some ways to, to pursue happiness. So this is the first thing I want to say, tell people this to be the first C is that take comfort in things that bring you long lasting happiness. So we can take comfort and Hey, yeah, I'm going to eat that chocolate cake because I'm depressed, you know, but that is that really going to give you long lasting pleasure. Now it might give you some, a long lasting happiness. It might give you short term pleasure for maybe half an hour, but that, that, that sensation of that pleasurable experience will fade. What might be even better is for comfort, getting together with maybe um, your family, your kids and making chocolate cake together and then eating it as a family. Okay, see the big difference there? So, so the, the idea is that you're not focused on the act of pleasure, the reward, but the activity, the pursuit of it. So it's like, hey, this is great. And as our reward, we get to eat this chocolate cake together. Or <clears throat> taking, um, doing things that bring you a sense of comfort, do one thing on a daily basis that brings you comfort. And in the sense of long term happiness, so it can mean um, getting a, a walking, mm-hmm. you know, exercise, focusing on eating one healthy thing in your <laughs> in in your day, uh, 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 taking comfort. This is a really important one, and taking comfort with people who give you a sense of comfort, especially during these times of challenge, these challenging mm-hmm. times of um, isolation or COVID. Um, uh, is taking comfort in in other people, your tribe, if you will. Hmm. Um, so that's one thing, you know, is take comfort in, uh, uh, in 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 activities or in people that bring you a sense of established happiness.
0: It it also sounds like it's um, with comfort. It's a little bit of self care too. Would, yes. would that be right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So self care is not being selfish. Right. <laughs> so that's how it really is.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I just had today uh, a student who contacted me because, you know, she missed the uh, deadline for some homework and we have a couple more deadlines coming up. And her, she told me that her grandmother just passed away. She's got an uncle and I think a brother in the hospital with COVID. And she was in this like near panic and i responded to her and i'm like you know yes don't worry i can work with you on these deadlines but maybe you want to consider focusing on self-care right now instead Mm -hmm. of pushing yourself to Mm -hmm. achieve all these things maybe in the long run it might be better you know this is just a five week class you know i'm teaching it again in the spring i would be happy to give you an ad code for spring and encouraged her to, you know, think about and take that time. And I mm-hmm. mentioned this because it seems like, again, going back to our culture and society, it seems to push us away where we all seem driven to no matter what's going on, you know, that deadline is what's most important.
1: Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a great example that you use, Nick. You know, this idea is that we need to look at self-care as vital. It's again, self-care is not being selfish. And I think in our society, there is a misconception that, uh, we have to always be, the, we also be tough. You know, there's, yeah. there's, 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 there's a, um, uh, unfortunately that self-care is a sign of weakness.
0: Right. And, um, I wanted to continue and, with or, your,
1: you know, or maybe it is a form of, of like, Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say, I want to continue with your four C's, but what you were just saying is yes. uh, something else that you brought up in your book, uh, because you base all of this in uh, evolutionary theory. But at one mm-hmm. point, you comment that we are evolutionarily, I can never say that word right, from an evolutionary <laughs> perspective, we're hardwired for compassion and kindness rather mm-hmm. than competition and conflict. Yeah, and it seems to me that I think most people, or a good chunk of people, are going to read that and say, mm-hmm. "What the heck? No, this is all you know. Evolution's all about survival of the fittest. This is a dog-eat-dog world, you know." Um, mm-hmm. So, how do you reconcile
1: those? Yeah, you know, God. that's a really great question. I think that many people would be surprised to learn that uh, Charles Darwin, who adv- who advanced the theory of evolution. He actually said, you know, that whole survival of the fittest—that never really was his major theme. In fact, it—it's uh, it, noted that there was one word that Charles Darwin used more often than any other word when he was uh, writing his works, and that word was love. Mm. And so let's think about this, okay? Let's go back. Let's go back again to that example I shared with our listeners earlier about. Um, Going back 10,000 years ago, life was a struggle. Your greatest source of happiness was to just make it one more day. That really was it. So imagine yourself now 10,000 years ago and you were all alone by yourself and you are cold. You haven't eaten in a few days. It's getting dark. Uh, to make it worse, the, the sound of hungry predators are, are, are getting near. And so it was pretty stressful, right? All you wanted was a warm safe caves, some water, some food. Now think about this. Would your chances for survival increase if you had one other able-bodied person with you that you trusted? The answer is yes. Now imagine if you had five other people that, in, a, in a group that you all trusted and were looking out for each other's common safety and welfare. Now imagine you have 50 you now have the, evolutionary, you have the evolutionary beginnings of what we call a tribe, okay? So my, I have many little phrases to tribe is to thrive, to socialize is to survive. And that really is it. What we are, what, another very powerful um, feature that was revealed by the brain science research that came out just, know, just 20 years ago or so, more so than your brain being a competitive organ or a strategic organ, a or rational organ, your brain, my brain, everyone's brain evolved as a social organ for, for um, cooperation, for community, and compassion. So here's one way of looking at it, and we'll talk about this in the, as, as the, th- the next three Cs uh, contribution, connection, compassion. We humans are not, we're, we consider ourselves to be the top species on the planet, you know, the most sophisticated, advanced, et cetera. So what made us that? Well, we are not the tallest of animals. We're not the strongest. We we don't have adaptive features. If you cut off like one of our limbs, it's not going to regenerate back like some, like lizards do. We can't breathe in water. We can't fly naturally. So what is it? that made humans the um, top species on the planet? The answer is this, humans discovered the need and and navigated the, the complex world of social networks. What we humans masterfully accomplished is recognizing how to cooperate. If we humans, early humans did not recognize that cooperation is more advantageous, for us by the competition, the human species would have died out a long, long time ago. So this is, this is wired into your brain. So let me give you a good example. There's a system in your brain called the mirror neuron system. And what this means is that the word mirrors. And I see myself in a mirror. The mirror neuron system is a, is one of the several systems in your brain that, um, uh, that is wired for, for, for empathy and for kindness. So if you see someone fall down on the street and break their bone, regardless if you know them or not, there's a very good chance. Um, if you're a healthy functioning brain, you know, you, your first instinct is to go and make sure that person's okay. This is the basis of empathy. And so the, and we'll talk maybe about this in the compassion piece. So this kind of, this is a very important point. Listeners, I think need to be aware of, we are more wired for, for for cooperation and kindness and empathy than we are for competition and greed. Don't get me wrong that those aspects are still there. But they are subsumed. They are, they're diminished um, under the greater and the greater drive we have as a species to cooperate. So let's actually talk about the second C, which is contribution. So this is this is a great way to kind of uh, segue. What I love about the word contribution, I talked about the word tribe, to, to socialize is to survive, to tribe is to thrive. Guess what? The word tribe is in the word contribution. <laughs> so the T-R-I-B, that word, that part of contribution comes from the word tribe. Contribution is to do activities with the tribe or for your tribe. So what does contribution look like? I find that contribution is another way of cultivating happiness or, or a happy brain, recognizing that each one of us has a value or a purpose. So both of us are educators, okay? So both of us recognize that our contribution in the world is to ensure that we are preparing the next generation of our students, of our of our of our world, to be thriving citizens. You know, to move forward in the world, um, hopefully with good morals and values and uh, some a good head on their shoulders. But contribution is really this. And think about it again this way: I go back to evolution. Every member of a tribe, going back ten thousand years, had a specific purpose. So you might see, for example. Some of the people in the tribe were the hunters. So they would go off and be the ones who would uh, kill the animals or, you know, maybe do more of the dangerous type of work, if you will, of hunting. With some members of society who took care of maybe the gathering of like, you know, nuts and fruits, things like that. Okay. Gathering fight. Maybe the young kids were responsible for gathering firewood. Okay. Maybe you had the elders take care of the babies, you know, so everyone looked out for each other. And there was one common intention for the tribe, and that was to ensure everyone's survival. And once that happened, you can get more and more people and safety and security in a hostile world. So contribution is this idea, and I love this, that we're we're actually um, speaking today on Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s Recognizing his, 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 his birthday today. And so I want to share with you, you know, something that I actually wrote in my book It's idea that life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? One of his many beautiful quotes and this idea I think that really kind of nicely um, talks about the idea of contribution It's it's and again, this is another fallacy that we have in our society our country, our nation, our culture has said, the greatest pursuit of happiness is money. No, the greatest pursuit of happiness is meaning, right? It's not the pursuit of money, it's the pursuit of meaning. Don't get me wrong, money, we need it. You know, all of us need Mm -hmm. money to survive. But if you are exclusively driven by the pursuit of money, At the exclusion of finding the pursuit of meaning, that's going to be a major source to your unhappiness. So do contributions, the idea that do something that really that, you know, is unique to you, like doing this podcast series, Mm. you know, or or, or my writing a book, you know, or whatever that might be, you know, do something which inspires you do something, you know, um, which you know, is going to make a difference in the world. Um, and you're doing it for that intention or reason. So I think it's really good to, to remember.
0: Yeah, I like that. It reminds me, I don't know if you're familiar with her at all, but it was the uh, philosopher Philippa Foote. And one of her books is Natural Goodness. Mm. And she gives an example, and she's using the language of virtue and vice. Mm. And she, she's trying to find a natural kind of definition for these things. And she uses the example of a pack of wolves Mm -hmm. where she says that a virtuous wolf is one that participates in the hunt. So the virtuous wolf, the good wolf is a wolf that contributes to the survival of the pack Whereas the vicious wolf, and here she doesn't mean vicious in terms of like grr, you know, she means in terms of vice, is the wolf that participates in the feast, but doesn't mm-hmm. participate in the hunt.
1: Yeah. Great and example. so
0: yeah. that seems to really get at exactly what you're saying is that, you know, to be successful as a species level it requires contribution and that's going to yeah. benefit not just our tribe or our pack, but ourselves as individuals as well.
1: Yeah. 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 That's a good segue to the next C because I think, you know, contribution is really, I think in my book or uh, like, you know, my book, I talk about also in, in my course, contribution is about the need to find value belonging and engagement in the world. <laughs> need, need to find value and engagement in a sense of, you know, I'm contributing something which is unique to me. So it's in that sense, I think the segues into the third C, which is connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this really, I think uh, underscores one of the, in my, in my opinion, the most powerful piece or, uh, um, uh, you know, revelation about the brain in the past 20 years. And your, your brain is fundamentally a social organ that is driven for community cooperation and belonging. So they've been researched. Um, and this is something you know, this is kind of gets into some of the brain science, um, conversation. There are regions of your brain that process physical pain. So say you, 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 you fall down and you break your arm, that's painful, right? So your brain, well, there's a part of your, the region of your brain that will register the sensation of that pain. tell you, Hey, you're in danger. You just broke your arm. Okay. So, so pain receptors are, 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 are again, it's a strategy for survival. So you experience pain to alert you that something is wrong in your body. Okay. So, but there's also a part of your brain that will try to diminish the sensation of your pain, like your brain's opioid system kind of works in this way and being very general here that's far more for those who want the more brain science research it's in the book science of a happy brain but the point being is that um, what they discovered in the in this in a research study which came out about 20 years ago at UCLA was that they tried to trigger um using fmri machines and real time scanning the brain they tried they endeavored to elicit what they call social pain so imagine you got fired from your job you, um, you know, like social isolation, what's going on right now with COVID, uh, this would be called social pain. So um, feeling that a sense of disconnection or isolation or a sense of you don't belong to the tribe if you all, okay? Or a divorce, a, a breaking up from a, a partnership, These could all be examples of social pain. What the researchers discovered is that the same region of your brain that processes physical pain overlaps the same region of your brain that processes processes social pain. And this same correlation, the same region of your brain that tries to regulate physical pain overlaps the same region of your brain that regulates social pain. Pain is all the same in your brain. Pain is all the same in your brain. And the, the reason for that is because Think about it this way, when you get a cut on your thumb or whatever, your body has a natural, uh, your immune system will respond with, um, you know, ways to, uh, you know, to, to the cut, okay? But what about social pain? When you're, you're, you feel a sense that there's a threat that I'm no longer part of the community. You feel that pain because new, that was equally a threat to your survival as was well a broken thumb. You know, or, um, you know, uh, something more, more clear. So the idea is that the reason we are meant to be driven for social connection is again, by evolution, evolution want you to connect because connection is a force. So what does, what can connect right now in an age of COVID? Well, upper social distancing, which we all should right now. And uh, who knows when this is going to be broadcasted. But even even right now, as you speak in January 2021, uh, all of us are still either in some form of um, state home orders, or maybe we are still being required to social distance. It doesn't mean we still can't find meaningful connections. You know, there are many ways to find connections virtually. They're not maybe ideal, but they still are there. Or the people you are in, who are in your pod, if you will, really focus on the connections you have with them. Be grateful, you know, um, for those people who might be living alone. That be a little more challenging, but we should all be very grateful that we have people who care about us. Or even just to recognize that the pe- there are people who care about you. You know, that's a form of connection. Or we're being just reminding yourself that what we're experiencing right now—the sense of disconnection, or isolation, or loneliness. It is temporary in the sense that we're, this is not going to be forever, but l- maybe something to do is look forward and make a list. Who are the first five people I'm going to hang out with <laughs> when it's safe to do so and make a plan with that, with those people? That, that's a great stretch for Connect. So it's something to look forward to saying, hey, when this is all over, here's what we're doing we're going on a road trip to the beach, you know, with so-and-so we're doing, we're going wine tasting, you know, or we're, we're, we're going to play date with my best friend's kids, you know, whatever the case might be. So, so this is a really good form of connection, but the last C, which I feel is the most important is compassion is something which I think is really lacking in our world right now. And this really has to go with the idea of tribe versus tribalism. So, I talk about in my book, you know, tribe is a concept that governs the higher social brain, this idea of connection and really belonging. But tribalism, which is what we're seeing in our world today, especially in this country, as we speak right now, is a product of that survival brain, that, that more primal brain that really wants to look at others who don't Perhaps follow our belief systems or values as the as the, the 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 other, which is the threat. And so I feel that one way, and this might be a really great way, since again it's Martin Luther King Day today. He was about you know compassion, empathy, and helping you know the arc of social justice, if you will. You know, always bends towards a brighter future. I'm paraphrasing, but the idea is that um, compassion is key. And learning to be kind to yourself first, learning to be kind to your mind, learning to be kind to your heart, forgiving yourself. Uh, Once you're able to be kind to yourself, this will help you to be kind to others, which in turn generates a more kind and gentle and compassionate world. And so, you know, compassion is recognizing that we're all in this together. Yeah, you know, sure. um, Martin Luther King Jr. again said, you know, we may all have, we may all have come from different ships, but we're all in the same boat.
0: Yeah. It, it seems to me that this idea of tribalism, because this is something I wanted to ask you uh, about, is to differentiate between the tribe and tribalism. And it seems to me, if I understand what you're saying correctly, it's almost as if tribalism it emerges from a sense in a way that the tribe is under attack and maybe that's not the correct language mm-hmm. but there's a threat of some sorts to the tribe so people have this immediate sort of reaction to protect that that smaller tribe rather than mm-hmm. enlarging their concept of tribe
1: Yeah. And then maybe this would be a a last really great point to end on is this idea is that I talk about two types of tribe. There are conforming tribes and there are connecting tribes. Hmm. So connecting tribes are those that reach out and kind of band together and and make bridges, if you will, make bonds and bridges. And this idea is that connecting tribes are really where we, we thrive as a species Hmm. It is in finding the commonality of our, what makes us thrive, if you will, Uh, what makes the tribe to thrive. It's in these connected conforming tribes, kind of what you just mentioned or referred to is that these people don't believe in my values or they don't conform, again, conform, they don't conform to my worldview or perspectives or ideologies, et cetera. So therefore they're the enemy and they're the threat and therefore they should be defeated because they are a threat to my perceived survival. So we have to distinguish that tribalism is a product of that conforming survival threat perception element of the brain, which we refer to at the beginning of the, of the talk, whereas connecting tribes are really a part of the social brain, which is wants to see uh, how we can connect onto larger levels and really just be um, uh, you know, just uh, recognize the common good of who we are. So I know our time is up, but I want to maybe just uh, thank you for just um, letting me be here with you.
0: Yes. Well, thank you, Jay. I really appreciate it. Uh, let me ask you one last thing: How can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. So um, Uh, Before I do that, I want to just share with everyone who's listening a little, maybe, closing blessing. Um, You know, always have the courage to let your light shine forth fully and brightly because the world would be a much dimmer place without you in it. And together we illuminate the past or a brighter future. Um, So the four C's of comfort, contribution, connection, compassion really can help us do this. And so people can find about me, um, on my website, uh, drjkumar.com. It's D R J A Y K U M A R.com or on my social media handles, um, at doc J Kumar, uh, at D O C J A Y K U M A R. It's Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, all the the, the three biggies. (laughs) Um, And also um, I have a in my book, Science of Happy Brain, which is available on all platforms, Amazon, Google Books, et cetera. And a new course that's now available on LinkedIn Learning uh, called How to Train Your Brain for Happiness. So there are many multiple resources for listeners uh, that they can pursue and learn more. And the last thing I'll say is, um, uh, happy brains make happy people, happy people make a happy world, but it all starts with you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate you being here. It was a one, it was awesome to talk to you.
1: Great. Thanks, Nick. It was a pleasure.
0: All right. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode one of rebel spirit radio. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews really do help. And please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell below so you'll be kept in the know regarding upcoming episodes. For the time being, I'll be releasing episodes every other week with the goal of releasing them every week in the near future. Also, please consider making a donation via Patreon. You can make a one-time donation or join as a sustaining donor with three levels of membership available. Details can be found at patreon.com forward slash rebelspirit. Your support makes this podcast possible. Until next time. I wish you all peace and hope that you flourish in every possible way. I'm Dr. Nick Mather, signing out on Rebel Spirit Radio.